Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You know, I think I've done more traveling on this podcast than I have in an airplane or a car or a train since May of 2020. And I just, I continue to be in awe of the amazing people that land on my path. And and I'm really excited today to interview Kurt Tufert. And let me tell you a little bit about him. And I, I love how he describes kind of his experience. He says that his background is broad and deep. That just makes me excited for a conversation just in that first sentence. But I think that the way he looks at the perspective of the art and the science of how sales and marketing come together, especially in the unprecedented world that we're all navigating right now. And his sweet spot, which is one of my favorite sayings, is leading sales teams. Not an easy feat. He's currently a professor at the University of Houston. And he gets to teach both graduate and undergraduate courses, and he's done so for the last 20 years. So I could go on and on and tell you how fabulous he is, but we're going to get into a really great heart-centered conversation. So Kurt, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Deb. I really appreciate it. And thank you for a uh, an introduction. I want to know about this guy, the way you introduced me. It sounds like he's pretty fascinating, but we'll, we'll see about that as we continue on. Well, pretty fascinating. And, you know, I love large bios, but I'd I'd rather, you know, unpack them and have them shine in your greatness through what I like to call an intellectual stimulating conversation. So I am ready to ask you some leadership questions. I've got four, four in the docket ready to come out. So if you're ready, I'm I'm ready to fire away. Let's go, Deb. All right. You have had such an interesting career. And I know that one of the topics that you love to talk about is a character trait of confidence. Share with us. And and again, this can be a mixture of a personal emotion or professional experience. Why do some leaders exude confidence so easily, yet we witness the opposite of fear-based and confidence is not there? What is your 20 years of experience in in teaching and and at the world at large? Where do you think that comes from? Great question. I'll go back to a book I wrote. My history goes, if you start peeling the onion, as a professional speaker, we did a publish or perish thing. If you didn't publish, you couldn't uh, stay on the circuit long enough. My book was Five Stones for Slaying Giants. And it comes from the David and Goliath story. The five stones are passion, excellence, vision, value, and confidence. And what I say is that if you have passion for what you do and you balance that with the excellence factor of being very good at what you do, you have a vision for where you're going and you add value, then you'll be able to have that confidence. I think when you're lacking one of those first four stones, 
confidence can very quickly turn to arrogance. I've seen way too many leaders uh, move not from a heartfelt leadership or a servant felt leadership, but from more of a intimidation based leadership. These are the letters behind my name. These are the scars that I've gotten, or this is my resume. And it's almost used as a club to beat us over the head into submission rather than leading from the heart and articulating the passion, the excellence, the vision you cast and the value you add. Oh, I love that. You know, my Irish Nana used to say to me, if you're not nervous when you do something that you're really good at or something that's new, then your ego's taken over. So those butterflies are there, you know, as that little, hey, this isn't about you. Just go out there and be the best servant leader you can. Be confident, but not with ego. I love that. The other thing is you talk about the scars and the depth of loss. Wouldn't it be a joyous world if the people that have those scars, I'm talking deep scars, deep loss, and they were able to easily transform it into a higher level of empathy. We would have a tsunami of heart-centered leaders. Easily transferred is the, is the thing I wrestle with, Deb, because I, I went through a lot of counseling because I am an adult child of two alcoholics. And I learned how to suppress everything. And I learned, don't ask, don't talk, don't feel. And so coming into my adult life, totally dysfunctional. I was that guy with the, with the big bat beating everybody over the head. When I went through and I was willing to change from the inside out, it took a lot of iterations before I could get to that point where that trauma can be articulated. And I just might be able to be empathetic to somebody instead of sympathetic to somebody. It's, it's a big distinction and I can align with you in the same upbringing. It can be hard until you get the help and somebody can reframe it to say, yes, that was your normal as your upbringing in your household, but here's kind of what a healthy version of it looks like. And it's powerful because I've turned it around, you've turned it around, and now we're both servant leaders. And that tsunami that you talk about is exactly what we're looking for. Uh, and we see it in maybe in some small areas. Most of the time, you know, we see this, we, we catch the vision of a good leader that doesn't always get to the book cover. Not everybody is Jim Collins. Not everybody is Jack Wells. They don't write these books that we all can learn from. And yet the cultures underneath and beside those leaders, they thrive because those leaders can be vulnerable and they can say, hey, this is a traumatic event. COVID's a traumatic event. Life is a traumatic event. This the technology that has caused us to do things differently is a traumatic event. How do we lead through this with a vision and an articulation that says, I don't really know exactly, but let's go through this together. And then please provide me feedback so that I can do the minor course corrections to move us forward. Navigation. I love that. I love the way you framed it. Okay. My second question has permanent residency on the show. It has been in every single episode, right back to episode one. Share with us what imperfections Kurt brings to his heart-centered leadership. Just remember, it's a half-hour show. 
I would say as I, as I dig deep inside, I'm a big behavioral style person. I've got 20 years of teaching behavioral styles. And if you look at the DISC model from uh, William Marsden, D-I-S-C, I'm a 100D and a 100I. So I charge in like a bull in a china shop. I don't listen very often. It's my way or the highway. And I say sarcastic things that hurt people. Now, that is the imperfection that I'm working through. I've been here for six decades. I'm older and I'm still learning that when I get into a situation that I need to read the room and I need to make sure everybody is kind of in a neutral from a behavioral style standpoint, and then maybe listen to Stephen Covey in my head saying, first, I need to understand before being understood. And it's an imperfection and I'm working on it and I'm open to coaching. Um, I'm not there yet, Deb. And this is why I created this show. Love it. Okay, the next one that I want to ask you is kind of, I'm going to say something and then I'm actually going to frame the question. Okay. You love to talk and say that to be a leader, you need followers. So when I did my research on you and realized that was kind of one of your leadership phrases, the question I wanted to ask you was distinguish for me that sentence through this question. What is the difference between a manager and a leader? I've got the pithy answer for you on that one. It sounds textbooky, but it's so true. A manager leads things, processes, procedures. A leader leads people. And I'm going to take it from you. They lead from the heart. If you manage from the heart, I'm managing paperwork. I'm managing uh, reports. What happens sometimes is we forget that and we start to manage people in the same way as we manage a report. And so I would say to be a follower of a leader is somebody who catches that vision, who sees that transparency, who wants to, there's a want to, there's an intrigue. Of course, not everybody has that. There are some people who are in leadership and from a military standpoint, I have to respect the rank, not the person. And where I work, I I don't get along with everybody. There are four people that just, I don't like. And of course, my wife would say, this is your classroom. You need to learn to love these people. And boy, I don't like to hear that because I don't like them because they don't fit into my box. And um, they may not like me because I don't fit into their box. It's, it's so easy to get caught up on the extrinsic things of life that are materialistic, like you talked about. When you can rise to be a leader And I love the way you frame that a manager is a manager of things, but when you lead people, the following happens organically. People want to be around a leader that leads from heart that, you know, laughs at oneself, that model self-care that says, follow me. Like, let me show you how easy it is to have the ability to fail forward because leaders are still learning. And you talked about that. You've been teaching for 20 years The classroom is your place to teach, but you're still learning from your students. That is such a heart-centered comment. It's powerful. So last week I was teaching four classes back-to-back at Texas A&M, and it was the same one, behavioral styles. It's a sales class. And so how do you build trust and rapport by understanding your behavioral style and those of others? It was the fourth class. It was the question and answer period at the end. And one kid asks me the question, Based on everything you've been teaching us in behavioral styles, what are you struggling with right now currently 
And how are you using behavioral styles to fix that? The class went silent. The teacher stared at me, just bore his eyes into me. And I'm thinking, how transparent do you college students want me to be in front of you right now? And I realized I'm never going to see these people again. I could give a short and sweet answer, but I took a very deep pregnant pause. And I shared from my heart that I meet with a group of guys on Monday mornings, kind of like a Bible study. And there's a new guy that came in. I don't like him at all. And it's all about me not liking him. He has no clue that I don't like this person. And so as I look at behavioral styles, I like the reason is because this man is my complete opposite and, and he's new and, and it got real very quickly. I believe those college students actually saw a transparent leader and, and I exposed myself and, and I think we we're all better for it. I'm still learning. Absolutely. You know, I was chatting with a CEO client last week and he dropped some stats that I, I want to read to you. I've just been kind of pondering and ruminating on them and it's opened up a lot of great discussions. And he said to me, these stats hold both a lot of truth and a lot of merit in our careers, in our self audit of who we are, in our self awareness and our leadership. And this is what he said. 25% of the people you meet won't like you and they'll never like you. You don't have a hope in you know what, as soon as you walk through the door. 25% won't like you, but they could be persuaded to like you. Again, episodic, environmental. 25% will like you, but they also could be persuaded to not like you. Again, episodic, environmental, influence. And then 25% will like you and stand by you. And he said to me, and he's 68 years old. And he said, Deb, when I got a hold of those stats and I took the time to go back and audit my life as a man, as a son, as a husband, a dad, a grandfather, and all the different hats that he wears, he said, I felt this obligation of a thousand pounds off my shoulders and a freeness that I never had in my thoughts, my feelings, and my emotions. And it lends to such a great conversation. And it, and it, this leads beautifully. This always happens. It leads into my last leadership question. Have you learned or taught the best diet in the world to yourself in your life and your students? Have you learned to let go of the weight of other people's opinions? Man, where did you come from? Um, you know, I go back to that DISC profile, D-I-S-C. And I always ask the question in sales, you can have whatever you want as long as you help enough other people get what they want. What is it that they want? Those high Ds, they want control. The high analytics want to be right. The high amiables want to feel comfort and support. And here I am in the fourth quadrant, the high eyes. We want reward and recognition. As a leader, it's easy to get the wrong kind of reward and recognition. I can manipulate people very quickly to get what I want. I have an itch that needs to be scratched. And I use manipulation to get there. In my 20s, it was the love of another person, preferably a female, because I couldn't get it from my parents. In a marriage that that tragically ended. It just, I tried everything. I, I thought I was doing everything right and I was doing everything wrong. And so that was dysfunctional. I'm really working on that as I am, let's just call it 10 years away from retirement or trying to do something else. 
how do I live my life where I don't care anymore about these 25% of the people who meet me and won't like me? I'm still chasing those 25% every day, trying to convince them to like me. And it's a futile effort. The other 25% won't like me, but that's 50% of my effort to go a bunch of bunch of people who may just not care about it. And I need to uncouple myself from this reward and recognition, constant cadence and just move into, this is who I am. This is what I offer. I'm as genuine as I can be. Hey, this is who I am. And just having the exchange of ideas and stop the prejudice. There's so much more I need to learn. I feel like I'm just starting over to learn about people, about culture, about prejudice, about all of these things. And, and, and I'm excited to learn, but I'm also afraid of what I might learn and who I might become in the process. But it's exciting. It's very exciting. I, I am intentional. I'm leaning into this new place where I'm at. And this person on Monday mornings, I need to learn to love this person because the more I learn to love this person, the more I'll realize they probably add a tremendous amount of value to the conversation that I refuse to hear right now because of my prejudice. If I can remove my prejudice, maybe we can have a meaningful conversation. Not maybe. Yes, we will. And I bet you I can learn from this person because of his life experience. And I want to close this off with saying, you know, that reward and recognition that you seek, it comes with a price on conditions that we put on our worth and worthiness. We just want to be seen and heard and valued and liked and loved. We all do doesn't matter. It doesn't matter our title or our stature. And a lot of people right up to the C-suites and the executive teams that I work with, there's always remnants of something from our life as a child. And until we open Pandora's box and we want to talk about, it doesn't make us less than, it makes us present and it, it anchors us into sometimes a painful experience. But if the outcome is going to be lifting that condition on your own worth and worthiness, I think it's, I think it's worth the price to go through it. Agreed. I I agree. I think the address you grew up at is influential all through your life. And then the more we can tap into it, the trauma, the drama, as well as the celebration, it just makes us a better person. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just four fun questions about Kurt. Cause I always like to see what's just sitting on the top of the brilliant mind of those that I interview. Okay. First question. Tell us something that we don't know about Kurt. Uh, Something you don't know about me. I'm a creature of habit. I wear blue on Mondays. I do the same thing. And when I don't do the same thing, I feel like I'm not uh, in balance. I love that. There's nothing wrong with discipline and routine and structure. That's, That's awesome. Okay, second question. Share with us a book that you read either personally or for business that really impacted your heart. Well, I've got two books. One that's impacting my mind right now is Jordan B. Peterson's uh, The 12 Rules for Living. And then the anchor book in my life is uh, John Eldritch's book called Wild at Heart. And uh, those that book I've read several times and I continue to be drawn to just the way he, he is a servant leader and I'm drawn to uh, his wisdom. I love that. And I love that you love Jordan Peterson because he's Canadian. One of the most brilliant minds of the 21st century. He is. Okay, third question. If I could grant you one wish today for a change in the world, what would you like to see? You could grant me one wish 
today for the change in the world. I want the world to accept other people without the prejudice that we grew up with and then have conversations of culture so we can share the address we grew up at and not degrade it, just be inquisitive. I always frame that when we have this conversation is what if we let go of judgment and welcomed being inquisitive? Mm. Okay. So before I give you my fourth question, because I always let my guest end the show, I believe in serendipitous moments and I believe people land up on each other's path. And this has been such a fun conversation and I look forward to more conversations with you, but want to commend you for coming on the show today and sharing your time, your expertise, but more importantly, your heart and just know that it's going to impact one of my listeners. And I'm grateful to you. And I'm glad that we met. I am. I'm humbled right now, Deb, that uh, you brought up a lot of things from on the inside and it just makes me want to be a better person just with our brief time together. So I'm going to get you to close out the show with my last question. And I would like you to finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Heart-centered leadership is intimacy into me-see. You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart-Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.